And as you read Matthew, you really get the sense that in these days leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus is passed from pillar to post. He goes to all kinds of different people. He gets betrayed by Judas. He then gets handed over to the high priest. He's denied by Peter. He's then in front of Pilate. And then it's eventually the mob who sort of seal his fate. Judas hands Jesus over for a financial gain, doesn't he? He's got money as his sort of desire for doing that. The high priest finds him guilty of blasphemy. Pilate, the Roman governor, doesn't really know what to do. His wife has a dream that says, don't have anything to do with Jesus. But he's in it between a bit of a rock and a hard place because the crowd are about to riot. And so what does he do? He washes his hands of Jesus and said, it's over to you. And then we get to what I think is a really chilling verse, verse 25. And this is the crowd speaking. Let his blood be on us, answered the people, and on our children. It's really chilling. That is the mob. That is their heart. That is their sentiment at this time. And so there ends a long line of people who each in their own way have crucified Jesus, who each in their own way have played the part in what is to happen next. Each of them in their own way has failed to listen to God. They have not heard the gospel message that Jesus has brought. They've not recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. So instead, they've betrayed Jesus, they've denied him, they've washed their hands of him, and the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Chosen One, ends up being crucified. I think at this point, we need to pause. We just need to take a bit of a breather, because it's easy to read all this and think, well, this was so long ago. This is in another world. This is 2,000 years ago in a culture that is totally different to ours. And we look at our crosses today. You know, you look at the cross at the front of church. It's a nice, wooden, polished, sanitized cross. Many of you may be wearing jewelry that are crosses. And again, it's the nice, sanitized, polished, nice-looking cross. Yet Good Friday was not sanitized. It was not polished. It was brutal. It was a day where Jesus had been betrayed by everybody who had cared and loved for him as well. It was horrific. And as we read what the people did, it makes me question, are we not among them? Do we not find ourselves in that crowd of people? Are there not times when in my life, when in your life, we've actually betrayed Jesus through the way we've been, the things we've done, the things we've left undone? Are there times when perhaps we've even washed our hands of Jesus when it's got a bit uncomfortable and we've been a bit pressured and we think, actually, I'll just wash my hands of my belief in Jesus at the moment? Have we ever found that just following Jesus gets so uncomfortable that we've almost denied him in the face of other people? But what did Jesus say from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There are so many times, actually, in our own life, I can relate to this personally, when I don't really know what I'm doing. But I think collectively, as a human race, we don't know what we're doing. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Paul, in Romans 5, verse 8, says this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in that place and making the mess, while we were still doing all those stupid things, while we were washing our hands of Jesus, betraying him or wherever, at that point, Jesus comes and dies for us. Not when we've got ourselves polished and make 
it looked like everything's okay. Jesus becomes our sacrifice, dies in our place, takes my sin, takes your sin. It's totally right and appropriate that we make this a very personal day today between us and God, you know, what God has done for me. It's really appropriate that we use that kind of language. Paul, in Galatians 2, verse 20, says this, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Beautiful, personal language of what Jesus has done. But you know, to just make this a personal event is to make the cross too small. This is far bigger than just the personal. And we'll see that as the passage unfolds. I've really enjoyed um, using some of these artwork pictures that, that Jonathan has done. I'm even worse artist than Darren. I have sort of negative ability when it comes to art. But what I love about art, and I know last year we used some of Doris's artwork to sort of help us on Good Friday as well, is that you get to see events through the eyes of a different person, and you get to look at something in a different way that you yourself can't, can't sort of think up, especially if you're an incompetent person like me when it comes to art. What we find in Matthew's Gospel is that Matthew, quite often, will take a look at what other people are saying regarding the events of the crucifixion. And he sort of has a camera almost, and he keeps panning round different people, getting different people's perspectives. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't then focus on what Jesus is thinking or what Jesus is feeling, but rather the camera zooms, and it's like we'll have get a, a look at the crowd. And we find that the crowd are thinking he's calling for Elijah. And he does it time and time again through this passage. Then we get to verse 50. Jesus breathes his last. You know, if the gospel ended there, if that was all there was to say, if this was truly the end, we might as well go home. There would be nothing left to say. If Jesus died at this point, the Father is inaccessible if there was nothing coming later. If Jesus, who said, I am the way to the Father, you can't find the Father except through me, is now dead, and that's it, then there is no hope. But actually, there is a lot more to happen yet. Jesus dies. He enters into death itself. And as he enters death, he defeats death and defeats the powers of darkness. And so what Matthew does, again, is he pans around. He gets his lens out, and we now pan around to see, as Jesus died, what is going on in other places? First of all, we, we glimpse the temple. The temple, the place that for, for years had been there as the centre of worship. The place where sacrifices had been made to cover people's sin. The place where the Holy of Holies stood, where the presence of God was accessible, but only to the high priest and only once a year. What happens as the Son of God dies on the cross? The curtain in the temple comes apart. It breaks. The once-for-all sacrifice has been given. This place is now obsolete. It's not needed anymore. The Holy of Holies, the place that has been covered up and kept away because Jesus will now defeat death, is now open to everybody. Then Matthew gets his camera out again and he pans around to another scene. He now looks at the creation itself. The earth is shaking. Rocks are splitting. The planet itself, the, the very ground that we stand on, reacts as the Son of God dies. And then verse 52, the strangest of all these events, I think, is the tombs of many dead people. 
the tombs of many dead people open and holy people who've been dead for, we don't know who they are, we don't know how long they've been dead, they come out of the tombs and at the resurrection start to appear to people in Jerusalem. I'm not even going to start trying to unpack what all that's about. But why does Matthew tell us all this? Why does he keep panning around to look at different things? Well, yes, the cross is a personal event. Yes, it's between me, my sin, and God. But this is a cosmic event. It's a universal event. This is God in Christ breaking the power of sin and death forever. He's opening the way for us to be saved, to know God, to be free for eternity. And on Sunday morning, as we all know, we will celebrate that this wasn't the end. This is not the end. This, if you like, is the end of the beginning or the beginning of the start, whichever way you want to look at it. This is where all God's purposes become revealed through the death and resurrection of his son. And this is on a universal scale. God is bringing in his new creation. He is bringing in a new start. So what should our response be this Good Friday? How do we respond to Jesus today? Should we mourn? Is that the right response? Well, yes, to some extent, we we mourn for our sin. We feel the guilt that we put Jesus there, that we have played our part in doing what the crowd did. But you know, guilt is not a place we're called to stay in. Guilt, if you like, is the doorway that says something is wrong, that we can then walk through to forgiveness. And Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Should we be thankful? Well, yes, of course we should be thankful. Jesus died for me. For the Son of God died for me because he loves me and he loves you. Should we marvel at the grace of God? Absolutely. That you, my God, would die for me. We sung those words. Jesus is God. God takes our place on the cross out of love for us. Should we be filled with hope? Yes. Because Good Friday is a good day. Because we know what comes next. We know what Sunday brings. And we know that the power of the cross is made real through the resurrection of Jesus and the coming in of the new creation. So today, let's do all those things. Let's respond to God in our hearts. And let's realize that it's not through what we can bring, but it's through everything that Jesus has done. Here is grace. Here is love. Here is salvation. Here is redemption. Here is the chance to be the part of the new creation that God has brought in through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we often don't know what to say on Good Friday. It can seem so overwhelming when we think of your sacrifice on the cross. But I just want to pray for each of us today that we, firstly, that we will know the forgiveness that you offer. And secondly, that we will be thankful. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Amen.